Okay, before Pastor Brian comes up and preaches on this text, I will be reading Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles or you want to follow along, feel free to. Romans chapter 8, Paul's letter to the Romans. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to, to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of, of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this, his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait uh, eagerly for adoption as, the, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in, this we, if for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints accordingly to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who, those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You can go home. That's how good that chapter is and I encourage you to know that chapter like the back of your hand in that chapter alone all the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ by the Spirit we live in the Spirit I get very excited over this text I'm only going to take a portion out of it to speak on that's 18 to 25 but we've been speaking on that great intangible of hope that this intangible of hope that it brings life without it there's no animation there's no color there's there's no sound to life when hope is stolen from the heart the day's not the same we've all experienced amen We've all experienced days where they're just so challenged, and sometimes we've worn for weeks and months, and it's so challenged, like, where's the hope? Well, it's found in God. We know that. Amen? Life without hope makes the heart sick, and when that happens, it can manifest in every other area of our life, all the daily routines and interpersonal relationships we have. When we're hopeless, something's missing in everything we do, even pizza don't taste the same. You know what I mean? You can go to the pizza wagon and like, there's something wrong with this pizza today because it's really the hope that's missing. This meaning cannot be seen by others. Non-believers cannot see this. They have no understanding. The world we live in has no understanding of this kind of reality, this ultimate reality we're going to be speaking about tonight. Paul in our text is speaking on ultimate Reality, ultimate hope. There's no greater hope than what we're going to speak on today. So whatever you do, everything you're hoping for, everything you're expecting in life, everything you desire, nothing can compare to what you're going to read today. If anyone says anything contrary to a greater hope than what you're going to read today, leave. There is nothing greater than what we're going to feast on in God's word today. And how does hope colors our life now? Being glorified with Christ. As co-heirs of Christ. It breaks into our daily, ordinary relationships. Our daily routines take a new turn in life when this ultimate hope is living in your life. I can't give it to you, church. Only the Holy Spirit can. I can feed you today. And I pray you grasp on and you feast on this reality on your own in your life. God has taught me how to do this. God teaches all his children how to feast on this type of hope. Our regular routines, all our personal relationships, our worship of God, our going to bed, our rising in the morning, our whole existence as humans can be determined by this ultimate reality of being glorified in perfect bodies like Christ. Don't miss it. And that's the ultimate reality, our glorified bodies. With all its glorious benefits. Perfect mind to know and communicate with God. Listen, you will have a perfect mind. You will have no other conflicting thought ever. Ever. Every thought will be absolutely perfect. And pointed to God. Nothing will compete with the knowledge of God. Your emotions will 
will be perfectly in tune. Our emotions and our feelings will never ever let us down again. We will be in perfect harmony. Our minds, our emotions, and our will will be absolutely flawless, absolutely perfect. There is no higher state of being. It's ultimate reality for the child of God. In a perfect environment fitted for glorified eternal state with God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit as Paul teaches us. And Paul says we have enough of the Holy Spirit in us now to radically enjoy this ultimate hope. Guess what? You don't have to wait till you die and go to be with God. You can enjoy it now. That is your choice. It's your choice. When I speak this way and I speak to people, I'm speaking about one day the ultimate hope and they say, but. There are no buts. The hardship you're going through is no but or end. When you start talking about this reality, nothing competes with it. By way of analogy, the only one I can come up with is the one the text talks about over here, and that's being pregnant. It's like a young couple having trouble. They want to have a child. They desire to have a child. But they can't raise a family. It's just not happening. And then the day happens. Conception. And then a little belly bump. You know it's real. And all the hardships that come with pregnancy doesn't compare to that hope of that child being born. And when that child is born, any labor pain, anything of any discomfort is totally, immediately eradicated instantaneously when the mother holds the child in her arms. Moms should really understand that. That's what we have in our text today. We're pregnant with the Holy Spirit's hope. Not Brian Martin's hope. Not Sunship Ministries' hope. It's the Holy Spirit's hope. The hope comes automatically with him. He doesn't have to turn the hope switch on. The Holy Spirit's middle name is hope. Where he goes, where he lives, where he dwells, hope goes with him. And I hope you understand that. Because there are no short-term inconveniences for long-term joy. Nothing can stop what God is doing. This is what our text is all about tonight. We are pregnant with eternal joy, with the prospect of eternity with God, which we will enjoy in a spiritual body like Christ's resurrection body. This is not theology that's out there somewhere. It is tangible because of the Holy Spirit. You can set your clock to it. You can set your daily routine to it. You can wake up to this every morning. Because as I said last week and I said the week before, this week we are one week closer to seeing the Lord. Seeing Christ is as real as yesterday was. Please don't miss it. When properly understood, this doctrine becomes paramount to living a truly fulfilling life now. Do you want a fulfilling life? You need to grasp this. This is one of the things you need to grasp. It puts the whole world, with all its negative connotations, into perspective. You're suffering in your body? You need to listen to Paul today. You're suffering in your mind? You need to listen to Paul today. You're suffering with your emotions? You need to listen to Paul today. You're suffering with children? You're suffering life? You're suffering anything? You need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying today. You need this. I step into this pulpit knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, your life depends on what's going to be said today. And I don't say that for... Some kind of emotional satisfaction. I mean this. We need this text. Christian life 
with this low level of joy that keeps us grounded in God all the time. Through all the changes of life, through all youth, through school, marriages, children, grandchildren, work, old age, sickness, pain, hardships, etc. This is it that grounds us. And I can still stay focused through the worst of times. Because I know there's a reward waiting for me. And waiting, as Paul says, to all those who loves his appearing. Christians can be grounded. And not to take anything in this life too seriously, as though all my dreams ended because something didn't come to pass. Someone let you down, a spouse let you down, so you let yourself down, someone let you down. Understand something, nothing can compete with this when you grasp it. Meaning this, your best life is here now. No, your best life is still to come. Let's go, before we go to our text, I want to go to our book. Our text finds us in the middle of the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans speaks more about hope than any other book in the New Testament. Nothing even comes clear to it. It speaks about it 18 times. The closest one to it is eight. That is it. Paul speaks more about hope in this book than anywhere else. Only in this book is the God called the God of all hope. Romans 15, 13. This is Paul's systematic treatment of the Christian faith. The book of Romans is the heartbeat of the New Testament. You don't understand the book of Romans, you will miss most of the New Testament. In the book of Romans, Paul unfolds the majesty of the mind of God in the plan of redemption. Understand something about doctrine and theology. If you ever heard anything negative about theology, if you ever heard anything about doctrine negative, understand something. There's another word. Theology and doctrine is another word for the mind of God. Don't miss that. For those who don't like to read, oh, that's theological, it's too much. There's too much doctrine over there. Understand something. What they're saying, I don't really care about the mind of God. I don't care about the heart of God. I don't care about what God did, what God's doing, and what God's going to do. I just want to have a happy Sunday morning at church. How can you be happy if you don't know what the Father's thinking about? How can you be happy when you don't know what God's up to? How can you be happy if you don't know how the Father, how he truly loves you, why he loves you? He'll never stop loving you. And nothing can ever separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ. How in the world can you know that without theology and without doctrine? Can someone tell me, do you want to hear Brian Martin say, I had a dream last night? You want to hear Brian Martin say, I have an opinion? Do you want to hear me, I had a premonition? No, you want to hear me get up and to talk about what the Bible says. That's what you want a preacher to do. And if the book of Romans is the heartbeat of the New Testament, then chapter 8 is the blood of the new covenant that make believers what they are. Verses 1 to 11 speaks of being led by the God's Holy Spirit in dealing with sinful desires. Contrary to Moses' law, the law of Moses could only point you to your sin, but after that, it could do nothing for you. The Spirit only, not just points, but it also points to Christ fulfilling it for us, and now work it in, in us by grace. You know what that means? You're going to fail more than you succeed. But you will succeed one day. Stay with it, young Christians. Be on your guard. God will pull through for you. Sooner and more later, he's going to do more and more greater things in your life. Sin and the power of sin does not have the last word in your life. That's verses 1 to 11. Verses 12 to 16 speaks of the believer's adoption and all the rights that come with it. Oh, don't miss it. Verses 18 to 25, which is our text tonight I'll speak on, speaks of life on earth for God's children. Life on earth for God's children as they wait the next big step in God's plan of redemption. 
There's only one thing left. The glorious second coming of Christ and us being raised with him in glorified bodies. There is nothing less. There's not a thousand year reign in Israel with a new temple and a new sacrificial system as our brothers and sisters in dispensationalism believe. If you come from a Pentecostal background, you might think that's it. That is not it. What's going on in my heart is only one step next. I have to see God face to face. That's the next plan and redemption. Face to face. No power of sin. No presence of sin. No Satan tempting us anymore. Totally finished and annihilated at the second coming of Christ. Verses 26 to 30 speaks of everything in this life working towards Our eternal good. We all like that verse of scripture, don't we? It's probably one of the first ones every Christian memorizes. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called. Doesn't that sound good? Everything works together for good. Everything works together for eternal good. Okay? And do you want to know why? Most people don't miss it. It's because the Spirit of God is interceding for you in those verses. Even in groanings, the Spirit intercedes for us. That's why everything works together for good. It's not a magic wand the preacher waves over your heart. It will turn to good because the Holy Spirit will make sure it's for our good. Verses 31 to 39 speaks of the Spirit's protection against all the foes in this world. When Satan comes against you, when life throws every disturbance at you, it's coming against God's elect. It's coming against God's redeemed. It's coming against the Spirit's sealing of God's children. Understand something. There's no higher thought in the New Testament other than adoption. Nothing. All Christ's work on the cross was to forgive us so that we can receive the spirit of adoption. That I can have a father-son relationship with Almighty God. Paid for by the mighty Son. And given testimony to us by the Spirit of God. And that brings us to our text, starting in verse 18. I will speak one verse at a time, a couple at a time. I'll break down the text. You have to forgive me as I'm struggling with... (coughs) Romans 8.18. Paul says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. After Paul's illustrious apostolic career of 25 years, Paul's writing this after being an apostle for about 25 years. He's seen many persecutions in his life. He's been beaten many times. He wears the scars of Christ on his back. He's whipped five times with 40 lashes minus one. His back was torn apart. Torn apart. For Christ. He was stoned and left for dead. At the end of his life, everybody deserted him but Christ. And no matter what he's gone through, he says, I consider. That means he applied his mind to biblical reasoning. And when he takes a step back and he considers everything he has gone through, he's like, you know something? My final thought on this 
It's all meaningless compared to the glory of being like Christ. After all his 25 years up until this point, all he can say is this. It's nothing compared to what you're going to have. It sounds too simple, doesn't it? As you mature and get older in the Lord, you will take on that attitude more and more and more. You will see when you get to a nice age somewhere, it could be 20 for some and 60 for others. You get to a place and you say, you know something? This world offers me nothing anymore. It offers me nothing at all. The only thing next for me is home, and that's it. That's all. He considers, he thinks long and hard over many years that any hardships that come with his salvation is meaningless to heaven's reality that's in his heart. The intangible of hope that comes with peace and joy are not interrupted at all. Actually, the more you press Paul, the more you press and try to crush a believer, the more this hope increases because it's all we have. All we have. We're spoiled in America. As a matter of fact, America can hurt faith. There are churches that won't even preach on the text that deals with suffering. Americans don't want to hear anything about suffering. They don't want to hear anything about hardships. They, every time you go to church, there's got to be a happy little tune. Everybody's dancing and everybody's happy. It's like they're pumping oxygen into the church like Atlantic City does to the gamblers. Get them pumped up. Sometimes the sermon makes us sing. And sometimes the sermon makes us cry. Sometimes a sermon feels good and sometimes it hurts. We're going to find that the more you press the believer, the more you mature, the sweeter heaven begins to sound. I'll, ask, I'll challenge you this. How many people think actually about being in heaven with the Lord? For everybody who has a hard time with that, please understand something. The Holy Spirit wants to make that the greatest reason for you to be alive today. For nothing else. At all. Not your business. Not your health. Not to understand something. You're going to suffer. We're all going to suffer to one degree or another. And these sufferings for the believer. How things all work together for good. Because the Holy Spirit's interceding for us. And we don't collapse. is because we cry out for Jesus. For my own life and the experience of my wife's life and the experience of the people I've been blessed with in this church, I've seen hardship come and it just takes the shaft and blows it away. That's the false believer. That's the believer that confesses with their mouth, but their heart has nothing to do with God. And as soon as the tribulation comes, they're gone. But to the believer that loves God, they need more of Christ. They can't blame him. They need him. They just know, I need you, Lord. Life is so hard. Verses 19 to 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him, that's God, who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Paul's mind is so engaged with how awesome adoption is. Don't want you to miss this. And by the way, in the NIV, all the NIVs, it doesn't use adoption, it says sonship. And about 20-something years ago, as I was reading my Bible on the living room floor, God said, sonship ministries. Almost 15 years before we started. We actually paid for the domain name for over 10 years before we ever used it. 
He's overwhelmed with sonship. He's like, if God did all this and then filled us with his spirit to make us sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ, he reasons and considers, who cares what the world does to me? I don't care what my loved one says. I don't care what my friend, I don't care what co-workers say. I don't care what the politician says. I don't care what anybody says. It's God or die. That's it. Christians walk around the lake whispering, I'm a Christian. I got a Bible. I'm born again. What was that? You're born again? You got to stand up. You got to wear your Christianity. You got to say, yeah, I'm a Bible-believing, evangelical, born-again, spirit of the living God, Christian. Stop whispering it. What is everybody ashamed for? Grow up. Listen, grow up and tell people the truth. Paul's mind is so engaged with how awesome sonship is that he uses creation itself as a testimony to its glory. So glorious is that the sons of God, the way we're going to be, that God subjected creation because of Adam's sin, never to bear the fruit it was supposed to be. Earth will never be inhabitable for glorified saints. When Adam's sin the universe died with him. This earth only went from bad to worse. Listen. It will never be the worshiping temple home it was designed for. God will no way have fellowship the way he wants to on this earth. It all has to go. Creation as we know it cannot provide for glorified living with God. Only a new heaven and a new earth can provide for this. That's how bad sin is. He goes on to say in 23, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies how many people here are groaning for the redemption of their body I see some genuine hands going on because it's the truth and I'll give you some insights on why some do and why some don't stick around Paul now compares the believer to creation. There's something wrong. Just like with creation. There's something wrong. Humans were created in God's image and called very good. Not just good. Like the first five days of creation. The sixth day he created, it was called very good. We were in God's image, for God's fellowship, for God's glory. But sin ruined everything. Now the best for God children awaits the final act in God's plan of redemption. The Holy Spirit testifies to every doctrine in all biblical theology. Holy living is an affront to this godless world. They take offense with the way Christians live. My family takes offense sometimes with the things me and my wife talk about. They're offended. I don't want to go to an R-rated, oh, they don't go to R-rated movie. Who wants to be filled with the Spirit of God and watch two people naked having sex on a 25-foot screen? No, I don't need that. I need God in my life. Not Hollywood. And I hope I just ruined a lot of people's movie nights. <laughs> our family, our friends, our co-workers, they're offended by godliness. They're offended by holiness. You know, you can talk about Jesus all you want. Just don't start living like a Christian. Don't start telling me about the Bible. I don't want to hear about what's wrong. It might be good for you, but I don't need it. I'm just fine in love with my sin. The more we mature, please hear me, we become more, the more, the more mature we become, the more this world becomes uncomfortable. 
Young Christians aren't uncomfortable. They're praising God and, and they're, they're living around uncomfortability all the time. But I went through that. There's a maturing process. There's a learning curve. You know, and then one day, the older you get in the Lord, you're like, what? I don't know what I insane. How can I hang out with that group of people? How can I see those things anymore? How can I listen to that kind of music? How, and, and everything is viewed through how the Bible teaches the reality of life. Everything changes when you're a believer. This world becomes uncomfortable. That's why we've grown inwardly. What I see taking place in the schools now, when I see taking place to children, it, it makes me miserable, it makes me uncomfortable. I cry out, Maranatha, come Lord God, come now. How could you not really see what's taking place in this world and not get uncomfortable? Is not the Spirit of God in your life? The Spirit gives us eternal eyes. They're new eyes. We see life from Jesus' perspective. And it's painful. And sometimes we do it and we're not uncomfortable, but we know it's wrong. When we fight the flesh, when we fight the flesh and the Spirit go out and bring us new convictions of what life is all about. And where the hell are, we're there to help one another. To get over that. It says like we groan. I ask you this. Has anybody seen what's taking place in the world? Have you not grown in the last two days? And this is not about us against them. This is not about, uh, this, this is not about liberals against. This is about the spirit of antichrist attacking America now. This is more than just politics. Satan's not concerned with politics. He hates the Son of God. And that's what he's after. Make no mistake about it. The more you mature, the more you just start getting real uncomfortable. We groan. Jesus groaned. Hebrews chapter 2 and 4 teaches us about how Christ groaned about what he saw. The believer who has the first fruits, as Paul just told us, desires more from life now. We groan because of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's poetic way of saying you're born again. And that the Spirit now has given us his values, not ours. We have the first fruits of this expression of this heavenly, eternal reality. Why do you think 30 years later I'm still here? Why do you think Diane is here 50 years later? Why do you think John Verdi is here like 900 years after he got saved? <laughs> Understand something. Why? It's because the Holy Spirit fills our heart. You couldn't keep it up. There's no shelf life to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You can't make it. You have to be born again. Believer who has this first fruits, we desire more from life. And we realize as you get older in Christ, this world will never do it. Everything in this world is contaminated. Everything. But he also knows and she also knows that we now have to wait for the full expression of God's kingdom. We live in the already, not yet. I think Kim's been speaking on that. And for you girls who have just heard that, yeah, already the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. It's here. It's real. It's only a foretaste. But there's enough of it to overcome sin, Satan, and fear. You have enough of God in you to overcome everything God wants you to overcome. You have enough of Jesus in you to overcome everything God wants you to overcome. But it's not the full expression. It's not the consummation of the kingdom when Christ comes and we're united and married to our heavenly bodies. The marvelous marriage supper of the lamb and the bride in a new home where righteousness dwells. That's the full expression of the kingdom of God. And that's why we groan. Born again believers have tasted the heavenly life. I don't believe in eternity. 
I know it. It's real whether I feel it or not. He goes on to say this. 24 and 25. <coughs> Excuse me. For in this hope. I like the way he prefaces. For, for in this hope. We are saved. Now hope that is seen is no Not hope. I love his reasoning. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Actually, the NAS actually says it better. We wait for it with expectation. Or another translation says eager expectation. The longer you're old, I, I love Aunt Diana when we speak, not because she's old, she's not young. She's eternally young, you might not know that. But it's a blessing to say, when you get older, you're ready to go home. Like, what, what, all right, you're 90? Well, all right, what am I going to give you, 110? Enough is enough. <laughs> there comes a time your taste buds wear down, you can't see well, you can't hear well, you don't ration well, you don't walk anymore, you're like this. It's like, all right, Lord, enough is enough. Come take me home. Sooner or later, you get to a place where you're just broken down. Praise God. For in this only hope, for in this, this is the only hope that really counts. All other hopes come to an end. Think about it. Every other hope comes to an end. The hope for our children, hope for better lives, it all comes to an end. Everything. Hope for a new arthritis medication, maybe a migraine headache. Only by God's grace I was able to step into this pulpit today. I couldn't get my head off the, off the pillow. And then we ask why, why are these things? And you know something, I don't know why. But one thing I do know, I can't wait to see Christ. And maybe that's the very thing God wants us to have. I can tell you right now, when I suffer, and only this is a little personal, anecdotal, I witness the gospel better. I pray better. I worship more sincerely. You know why? Because life gets real when you hurt. Am I right? Life gets real. I've got no time for nonsense. I've got to talk to people about Christ. I, there's no time. I've got no time to play childish games. All of the hopes are going to come to an end. So you might as well grasp onto this one. This hope puts all the other hopes in place. Too many churches are preaching that Jesus is nothing more than a plumber. That's going to come and fix the leaky faucets of your life. We don't believe that in this church. We have a high view of Christ. And Christ will fix your life by saving you from your sins. He's a good savior. Probably not a good plumber. But he's an excellent savior. He knows exactly what he's doing. And we all, praise God, he's a carpenter. Good carpenter too. But understand something, he walks with every weakness we have. He's concerned about all the intimate details of our life, even the smaller things. He's concerned about everything. But he does want us to have this ultimate hope. Because when we have this, so many other things we're fretting. Think about some of the things you're fretting right now. Does it compare with being an attorney with Christ? Understand something, this is real. Paul's not saying, do the best you can. Paul's not saying if you really try hard. No, he's not. He's saying the Spirit of God is already groaning within us. The more we hear the truth and what life is all about and what we were created for, the more we realize this earth doesn't really offer us much. The Holy Spirit would never allow us to ever be fully filled with great experience in this life. Never. At all. When they sinned, he threw them right out of the garden so that they would not live forever. He cut human beings off from the access to the tree of life. Could you imagine being sinners and living forever? God said, no way. 
No way. You put the cherub over there, you put the flaming sword, mankind can never come into the presence of Almighty God for eternity unless they come to the door of hope, which is Jesus Christ, period. When you come to Christ, there's no burning sword keeping you back. Access to the garden is through Christ now. But mankind still thinks, I love, I love what's taking place in America. I love what technology is going on. I mean, they're all patting themselves on their back. We're going to Mars. We're going to Mars. And when you get there, you can't live there, buddy. You can't grow a tree. You can't grow a, a, a blade of grass. You, you can't breathe the oxygen. You, you can't eat no food there. There's no, so you get there. Oh, yay. Mankind's very proud of himself, isn't he? And when he gets there, they're going to find, if mankind right now can go to the end of the universe and already find? More. Nothing. Just nothing more. More of a nothing. There are no aliens. I'm sorry. For me, some of you space alien enthusiasts. There are no aliens. There's demons and plenty of them. And there's phenomena in the world that we can't explain. But there's no intelligent life anywhere in the universe but on earth. Only we, earthlings, have been created in the image of God. That is it. I base everything on that theological point. We and we alone are God's pinnacle of his creation. There's nothing else out there. The Holy Spirit would never allow us to ever be fully filled with great expectations in this life. There's always failures. We fail others, people fail us, life fails us. We live in a bunch of curveballs. You can be the healthiest person in the world and drop dead. Simple as that. You can eat and drink and live to 90 years old. Sometimes you look at it and say, well, you have no idea. The world we live in is a world, as R.C. Sproul said it, and when he said it, it stuck in me. We live in a world of tears. That's it. And we try to run in between the teardrops just to keep ourselves from getting wet. But that's life on earth. We are always tasting some great thing of God. But even then, at the end, when you taste God's mercy, and you've tasted God's grace, and he's forgiven you again, and he's forgiven you again, and you're feeling close, when you should get clobbered, you get loved, when you should get smacked, you get embraced, and over and over again, but it's not perfection yet. It's not until we stand face to face with God and he wipes away every tear. And there's no more tear, there's no more suffering, there's no more pain, there's no more Satan. Amen. We all have to wait for the great and glorious day. Let's close with this, Matthew 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given it thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you, every believer, from Abel to the end, in my Father's kingdom. Do you not understand? Not just Paul is waiting, not just you and me are waiting, but our Savior is waiting to drink the fruit of the vine with all of us forever and ever. Amen. Consider one application. Are you a Christian that considers? Does all your life's experiences, negative or good, pass through the crucible of eternal life with Christ? Again, I'll ask you, how bad is life? Compare it to what Christ is going to do for you. Compare it to perfection. Compare it to living forever. Compare it to being, you're going to see God face to face. Think about these things. That's what Paul did. That's why Paul considered. He didn't pull this out of thin air. He considered. 
Paul was a thinking, rational human being. He was a Christian man. You and I are reasonable, and, and, and we can consider these things. We're intelligent human beings. Go home. Take a week of just reading Romans chapter 8. I'm going to charge you all. Go home this week with your study Bibles and your commentaries. And Marty was wonderful, but, but the worship we listened to was all in harmony to this hope of the resurrection. Think about it. Pray about it. Sing about it. And watch how you come in here next week. This is the answer to what's going on in your life. This is the ultimate answer. Nothing can compete with what Paul just told us. Every hardship has eventually deal with this reality in the believer's life. Every hardship you have to go to is either going to be engulfed by this reality or it will overshadow the reality. Depends on faith. Sickness loses its power when this is living in your heart. Old age loses its power when this is living in your heart. An untimely death of a loved one loses its power in this ultimate hope. An unfaithful spouse loses its power to this ultimate reality. Please, Christian men and women, listen to what the Spirit of God is teaching us. Don't let anything compete with the reality of being glorified with Christ. This is the hope that the Spirit groans in us to know. He groans about nothing else. The Spirit groans about nothing. He grieves, but he only groans about this. Let's pray. Father, help us to grasp the magnitude of this reality of this groaning, of this desire to be with Christ the way Paul did, just like Christ wanted to be with you, Father, to the glory we once had, Lord. Remember how Christ prayed that. How Paul longed to be out of the body in the presence of the Lord. And God, help us here on earth as we work out our salvation in fear and trouble in 21st century Brooklyn, New York. God, help us, God, to put the lesser things in life don't let anything compare with the ultimate reality, Father. Let us all drink richly from the ultimate reality that we'll be perfect with you one day, incapable of ever sinning again. Incapable of ever having a fearful thought. Incapable of ever being anxious again. Incapable of ever fretting again. We will be totally free from the curse of this world, Father, in Jesus' name.